When you say you experience bitterness and it's, there's a lot of emotion there for you, which I appreciate, like what, what is that? Because I, I don't know if people use the word bitter. I don't think people do. Um, we do a lot because it, it's, it's one of the two things that binds human beings. So we talk about it, promise the promise and bitterness bind human beings. You know, it seems like, like bitterness is like relational doom. And it seems like bitterness is, I've been betrayed, I've been let down, that's what's coming next. I find myself in the conversation of done. Like, I'm just here to get this over with as quickly as possible. And anything they're doing that's not on the road to sleep is a problem. So, are you a people pleaser? Are you always making sure that others' needs are met before yours? Well, then this conversation is for you. Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high-stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, AJ and I sit down to discuss what I call the bitter butler syndrome. In this conversation, we covered the dilemma that exists in leadership around how do I make sure that others that I lead and serve get what they need and also that I get what I need. We talk about how people pleasing can show up like martyrdom and how this leads down a road that no one is excited about. I get pretty emotional in this one as I talk about my current struggles in this area. It was really unexpected, so enjoy that. Finally, we talk about how it is possible to meet both the needs of those we serve and our own needs. And this is actually, in fact, the true experience of leadership. Hey, really quick, before we dive in, I want to tell you about a workshop we have coming up called the Negotiation Lab. Negotiation Lab is a two-day workshop meticulously crafted to help you create new results in an ever-changing business world. The principles mastered in this workshop are derived from the tried and true principles taught in the Negotiation Mastery course at Harvard Business School. And from decades of experience helping companies like ESPN and Disney negotiate some of their biggest deals. In short, this is the real shit. The Negotiation Lab allows you to experiment like Bill Nye the Science Guy. You'll make profound discoveries about where you are currently and where you want to go with your team, clients, vendors, community, and even your family. You might even discover how to convince hummingbirds to make your avocado toast for you in the morning. Never leave value on the table again. So who is this for? This is for founders and CEOs who know there is more available for them and their teams but need the insight and tools to help create it. It's also for sales professionals that are determined to create the best sales experience for their customers and their team. In this workshop, you're going to learn how to see the strategic advantages you're probably missing. You'll also learn how and when to choose to be calm or aggressive in negotiation. You'll learn negotiating with more sensitive subjects with your partner at work or at home, what to do if it seems like you're losing, and how to be the most confident and comfortable at the table. Without the right tools and mindset, negotiation is a daunting endeavor. Don't get caught with your pants down. Come to the negotiation lab. Click the link in the show description and we'll see you there. Okay, let's dive in. Adrian, brother, how are you? Hey, man, I'm so good. So glad to be here. So grateful to be in this conversation with you. Right at the top, I was just going to mention Dan is not with us. He uh-huh. is supporting a team in Florida for a couple day offsite with Eileen, and I'm sure they're out there kicking some ass. I know. And um, so the the schedules didn't line up this time, but I'm I'm stoked to dive into these conversations with you, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We miss you, Dan. Miss you, Dan. Get after him. Yeah. Do you think he's going to listen to this? Uh, I doubt it. Because okay. he's not on it. He only listens to episodes he's on. So we can be really honest. Actually. Yeah. L- let's use him as the <laughs> as the teaching model. We brought you all onto this episode to ta- talk about Dan. Talk about Dan. And please, in the comments, add any judgments you have of him. 
Love you, brother. I know he listens yeah. to every podcast episode because I get a message after they release, usually a day or two after they release. Man, that one was so fucking good. <laughs> You'd love, <laughs> love Dan Takini, man, a champion of all champions. So good. I love it. Yep. Um, yep. Keeps keeps me going. So you you know, right before we hit record, both of you and you and I were joking that um, we like we like our medicine with a little bit of pain. That's it. Yes. And uh, you know, you you compared it to drinking whiskey, straight, clean, yep. smoky. I think I think the same thing when I when I think about mezcal. But we were, you know, it's such an interesting idea that for me I formulate this idea that like the more pain I experience in the medicine, the more it's gonna work. Right on. Right on. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I mean part of of why we serve who we serve is if you've got camaraderie with the people that you want to serve, serving them naturally dovetails out of how you serve yourself and how you lead yourself, you know? Yes. And you can you can typically I can easily relate to all of my clients' complaints, their challenges, their desires, their hauntings, all that stuff. I completely relate to them. I tend to usually speak about it so freely and clearly that they, you know, builds a lot of trust because I think about what they're thinking about. And one of those dynamics with every founder that I know that I work with, um, you know, in this Harrison assessment we always talk about here, there's this one score on the assessment called once a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I'm working with somebody, they better have a high once a challenge score. Um, and they almost always do. I can't think of somebody that doesn't have a once a challenge score. I mean, I, I remember what actually when I took the assessment the first time I ever took it, which was seven years ago, um, I had a low once a challenge score because of I was in the middle of a divorce and getting sober yes. and, and all that stuff. So I did you not want to challenge. plenty of challenges. I had plenty. I didn't want anymore. No, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm resting at base camp as much as possible. I'm not like <laughs> aiming at Everest. Um, but you know, I think that's that those two things connect for me. Like, you know, give me the hard road, give me the hard road. The hard road is meaningful for me. Like sacrifice and suffering is valuable and meaningful. And I think people that, that, you know, are ambitious tend to have that worldview, you know, their inner critic is tough. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's not uh, on accident. You know, it's like, that's, it's a nice, great motivating tool. Now over time, I utilize that voice inside my head. And I also tell him to shut up sometimes because he's like, you know, it's like, Hey man, this is a rest day, not, you know, boot camp. (laughs) Um, relax, relax. It's like every time we go to the park with the family, I want to make it into some grand competition. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Katie's like, can you just chill the fuck out? Like (laughs) we're just at the park. I know. How many, how many times in my hot tub in the backyard am I saying to the kids, let's have a a breath holding competition. (laughs) So obviously I've got larger lung capacity. So I'm going to give you guys a 30 second head start. Um, and then you guys jump in and scout my little competitor of the two of them. He's in, you oh, know, yeah. he likes it the hard way. Charlie, that, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's stupid. But let's Why play mermaids instead, dad. Yeah. Let's do mermaids. Okay. Fine. Sense. We'll do mermaids. We'll do both. Well, anyway, here we are. Yeah. So here we are. So I, I was just thinking about that. Cause this, you know, this conversation comes as some medicine for me. Uh-huh. Um, that we're going to talk about, you know, yeah. it's, uh, certainly I'm inclined to, become the people pleaser or at least believe or think that I'm being a people pleaser. 
uh, and really I'm just pleasing my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, wait a second, that didn't Call sound right. Um, uh, d- don't no more details, please. <laughs> just, so I'll stop right there. Um, <laughs> so there's this paradox that's interesting, which is, or or maybe even a dilemma. I think most people maybe look at it as a dilemma, which is like how it's either my people and my team get what I want or my family or my friends or my community get what they want or I get what I want. Yes. And it's, it can be a place of both self-sacrifices, which where like where a lot of the people pleasing shows up like, Oh, I don't need anything. I don't, I'm okay. What do you need? What can I take care of for you? All of that sort of stuff. And there's some hidden often some hidden agendas in there that we're going to talk about for, you know, in, in just a minute in this conversation. But I really wanted to explore this, uh, this aspect of it first and really talk to you. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this dynamic in your life. I know I've experienced it from you or we've had conversations about it. Yeah. Um, how does this show up for you? Well, it's really one of the grand conversations in my life, meaning this dynamic, if I look back and think about what's been happening for me, like between the years, like the math that I've been doing, I mean, I use metaphors like that all the time, the math I've been doing, really the wondering I've been having. Um, when people, when I do other podcasts, a lot of people naturally kind of ask the question, how'd you get into leadership? And my real answer is I needed leadership. Like I needed yeah. it. Like that, the quest of leadership really saved me. And I don't know, it's really kind of dramatic way of saying it, but it gave me something to do instead of just being anxious um, as like a a teenager. And I was kind of one of those old souls and kind of grew up early, blah, blah, blah. Um, Just because I asked a whole bunch of questions, at least my peers weren't asking, at least they weren't asking with me. Um, And I was asking them a lot of them and other people. And this, so one of the, the didactics or... Uh, paradoxes as we talk about it here of leadership is how do we meet everybody's needs and how do we like make it work out and that I learned early that if you serve others people like you yeah yeah you know? I mean like part of likability is I mean if you read Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people one of the biggest takeaways from that book is ask people about themselves yes and they, even if they don't know anything about you, they'll love you because it's rare that mm-hmm. people are in a conversation for the other person. And I got that early. Like I saw the feedback early. So in some ways, like being there for others, like eyes for others. Um, and that pursuit was a survival technique, also something really authentic and, and really joyous. Like I'm the sure. weird guy that like talks to people at the bus stop and I think it's interesting or befriends homeless people or talks to like really likes to become friends with the villain everybody else thinks they're a villain and i like to break through to them and you know become you know the one person that they'll actually be honest with and talk to that's one of the um, reasons i love just being out and about with you is that mm-hmm. i know we're going to get in some interesting <laughs> conversation somewhere and it's going to be fabulous and i don't have to run it and you know but i just get to observe it and yeah i love it it's so funny. It's so funny. We were just at the, watching Guardians of the Galaxy last night, and we're at the concession stand before, and Ali says, the guy, the cashier, he was singing. You'll love him. 
<laughs> which is true it's like i'm we're gonna do a duet very soon i'm gonna like celebrate this shit out of this dude that happens to be enjoying his job and i want to like put wind in this guy's sails and also to deal with my own like severity like how i like yeah. i'm serious all the time and intense i usually treat that with play like aim myself at play just especially when i'm around the teenagers um uh you know to goof off or when i'm around alley or if there's any kind of tension i'll just become play guy and like lighten yeah. the mood so yeah, like yeah. anyway um so how does this work out in my life i i know that that is a strategy to make a difference with other people which matters to me one of the most important concerns or interests in my life is making a difference with other people that's what legacy is crafted about um and there's a tension because if i don't watch it i really aim only at that and it's this either or dynamic that you're laying out and it's like, I can either go for them or go for me. And it's better just to go for them. And then over time, I become an empty vessel. I become a dry sponge. I become a, Long. um, like I'm, I'm uncared for because I haven't cared for myself and uh -huh. I haven't wondered about what I need. And then I actually end up becoming the opposite of what I'm aiming at. Yeah, because I run out of juice and I'm extra tired and I'm, you know, I've got, you know, it happens for me a lot. Like I've got pressures mounting at work and I've been really focused on the family and then I've got pressures mounting at work. And then finally those pressures come home to roost and I'm then not a joy to the family because I'm disconnected or I'm resentful or I'm fill in the blank. And then this is really weird back and forth, I think, of people's experience of me because there's a back and forth experience with myself that's going on. So this tension um, that comes, that really comes whenever I think it's an either or conversation. Yes. Um, that's where the tension really is. Otherwise it's a joyous kind of quest, you know, where, um, you know, I can think about what I need and what I want and invest in myself. And that the future always seems better when I give myself permission to invest in myself. Yeah. And, um, yeah. so, but back to kind of how it, how it happens for me, like that's, there's a lot of tension around um is there enough to go around it's an abundance conversation as well and like it's yeah a, it's a zero-sum game yeah mine's a lot darker <laughs> oh, go, go for it man i'm up for the dark <laughs> there's, there's darker levels too i was just waiting to get to punchlines <laughs> like the prominent the prominent if i'm really if i'm really introspective if i'm really like examining you know what i'm doing watching myself there's some really dark motivations and I think they're pretty common behind this people pleasing uh -huh. thing. Yeah. And I want to explore some of those because I it. think, you know, it's, uh, it's really easy. Who said, uh, the view of ourselves fluctuates between, uh, flattery and, and fantasy. I misquoted all the time. Dan sometimes corrects me. So okay. I don't know. I always say Somebody's... it's this guy, it's this guy Xander, but I guess that's not a real person. I think I made that up. I think that was in guardians <laughs> of the galaxy. Somebody really smart said, "Yeah, uh, the the view of ourselves uh, lands somewhere between flattery and fantasy, and I think it's really easy to be in that place. Like you know, whenever I'm like the hero of my story, of like I people please because uh, I just love people so much and I want them to have what they want to have, and you know those are true. However." I don't know that that's like the primary motivation for my people pleasing. And, you know, one, one of the, the darker ways that I 
use people pleasing is to get what I want. Right. Because I know if I'm the nice guy, or I think I know if I'm the nice guy, that uh, I'm going to be let off the hook. Yep. Like, yep. you can't call me to the carpet. You can't uh, You can't expect me to be accountable to you because, look, I'm really, I'm really nice. Um, look at me. Look how I'm nice a, I'm I am. A, I'm being exemplary over here. And you, Adrian, you would be the dick if I did some, if like uh, we had a broken agreement or something, but I'm really nice to you all the time. I'm, you know, I'm really, you know, doing everything for you all the time and making sure you're okay. And you would be the dick if you're the one that came to me and said, look, man, what's going on with this agreement? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I can use that as a tool. And I know that the the impressionable or those who aren't committed to honesty like you are, uh, that's going to work because it's worked yep. in my life. Yep. And yeah. uh, it, it's and might, just to give an example of it, look, it's because in your dark side is is very common for everybody, including me. So, like, I don't keep my promise to you, Chad. But my excuse for not keeping my promise to you is I was helping Frank do his thing. Yeah, yeah of course. You know? So, what do you want me to do? Not help Frank? <laughs> is that what you're saying? You don't want me to help Frank? You're not helping Frank. I'm helping Frank. I'm over here pulling my weight and Frank's weight. And now all of a sudden you're calling me like, what do you want from me, man? You know, it's so good doing the best I can. It's so good. Another dark angle of this is you, you say, uh, I've heard you say a couple of times, every martyr makes someone pay the price. Yes. That's interesting. What do you mean by that? I mean that. If I'm playing the martyr and I'm really living in this, I'm only here to be a tool. I'm only here to be of service to other people. Is that at some point, I'm going to wake up to the fact that I'm not happy because I've neglected myself. I've abandoned myself for the sake of somebody else, which in a moment in time is, let's call that heroism. Let's just say that, okay, good. From an archetypical perspective. Yeah, but a lifestyle of that of self neglect, I will need. I'll realize that I don't have what I need and what I want, and then I actually have done the math that now people owe me. Yeah. So I've been helping them, and now it's time to call their debts. We don't think about it this way, but I think the emotional dynamic is like this: I'm helping you, I'm helping you, I'm helping you, I'm helping you, I'm helping you. But actually, I'm keeping keeping track here. So that when I need something, I'm going to call it to call the debts to, to the carpet. And then you're going to be surprised because you thought I was being altruistic. Yes. Yeah. And I was feigning altruism and maybe yeah. even wanting to be altruistic. But a part of me was keeping track and being transactional. And then I yeah. will, they will obviously, usually if it's a surprise calling of the debts, they won't react well to that. And now I've got a justified argument in my own mind that I'm now the one that's being neglected and look at me I've been helpful the whole time and I'm asking just one thing from you just one <laughs> right like I'm I gave you 10 and I'm asking for one and you don't even want to give me one yeah so out of that that's when we go get blood make people pay yeah. you know make them wrong judge the shit out of them withhold from them work around them in the professional context, slander, gossip, gossip yep. yep, all that. So that when I say they're going to go after blood, it's because it's it's a non-sustainable um, dynamic. And um, 
as you work it out over time, you're you everybody needs to get their needs met. Period. Yeah. And if I can't do that in a healthy way, I'll do it in this passive aggressive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said treating yourself like a tool, which is yeah. so interesting because we talk often on this podcast about treating others like tools. Yeah. You know, just seeing them as a as a means to an end or a or uh, something that we want. When you turn that back on yourself, that's that's really interesting. How can we talk of her just a second? How do we use ourselves as tools? Like if it, and and it, yeah. Anyway, I won't I won't I yeah. won't belabor the question. But I'm, that's just such an interesting thing that I don't think very often about. Life is not fair; it's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair; it's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate? What's effective and what's ineffective? What your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. Well, it comes from, I'll just speak about it for me. It comes from, let's see, this is great. It's really, I'll start here. It's really vulnerable to have needs to acknowledge the fact that I've got needs and then yeah. to go out in the world and trust someone else to help meet my needs. That's vulnerable. Mm. Yes. Um, and in order to avoid that, I might act like I don't have any needs. And so by a tool, I mean, I'm an inanimate object. Like I'm not a real person with a heart and with my own shit and with my own fears and concerns and insecurities and all that. I try to dull those down as much as possible and just see myself as a machine. Wow. And I don't have needs and I don't have failures and I don't have wants and blah, blah, blah. And therefore I'm a tool. So when I say I'm a tool, I mean, really, I've sequestered off the humanity of me. and I just see myself as, a, as, as, as an implement in order to get something done. And I do this all the time. Like all the time. Like, yeah, this is like a default, like a survival tactic, not like glorifying it. Um, survival tactic that I've used throughout my life. So when I say I've treat myself like a tool, I mean like I mean I'm in self denial that I've 
got wants and needs. And that's yeah. strategic so that I don't have to put myself out there. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, I mean, you can get yourself to do what you want. I mean, this is what most people call burnout is yes. a result of treating yourself like a tool. Right on. Almost um, always. I would say that's like, yeah. I mean, of a high percentage. If once we, if I'm, somebody says I'm really burnt out, that there's, it's almost their conversation behind that, behind that curtain is there's a shit ton of requests of needs of asks that they've been unwilling to vulnerably speak. Yes. For fear of not seeing like someone that's got it all together for fear of not seeing like someone that's really competent or hyper independent. Um, we'd rather not jump into interdependence. We'd rather just be independent so that I can't be attacked. I can't be accused. I can't be questioned. I can't be all that. Um, big tension for a lot of leaders that are moving from uh, a high-end performer executor into a leadership dynamic where I actually need other people. And leadership is a concert of needs that are being met um, of, among the team. It's self-betrayal. It is. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's to deny the human humanness of yourself. Yeah, well, and it's a... You become a, a you're, you, it's a conflicting intention as well because what, I- What are the intentions? Yeah. So I say to myself, I really want people to show up for me. And then, but I act like I don't want them to show up for me. I don't even give them the opportunity to show up for me. Wow. So I actually set the world up to be disappointed. And then I live this disappointment and then I wonder why- even somebody's service to me won't land a service to me. It lands as patronizing. It lands as um, not enough. And because I've kept up this score, back to the previous point. And so it's conflicting intentions because I, I just don't want to sit in the needs I actually have and like see if people are going to show up for me. I think it's really core primal human shit. But yeah. anyway, we, can we become this... People don't know how to access us because like a really... I mean this is a very convicting conversation. I've done this so much in my life. It's just like, you know, a, a silent agenda of mine is, um, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yet I'm screaming for camaraderie and connection, which requires yeah. me not to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm thinking about it in the context of my kids Yes, and how much I do this with my kids uh -huh. I, I make up that I'm I'm the one that's got to have it all together all the time yes. that can do, that can bear the weight, that can do the thing, which parts yep. of that, I mean, part of that is true. That's yep. who I want to be for them. Yep. And it's part of the office of father. Yeah. And, but, and there's an opportunity to do that and, and, and let them in to the, to the challenges of it and to, right. you know, let them support that. And nothing is more meaningful to them, I would think. I know it was for me when I was a kid, and I didn't get the, these opportunities very often, is to yep. like support my parents in their challenge and to be yep. with them in it and feel like I'm contributing to what, you know, all of the weight that's being carried. And um, I think about that in, in the team setting as well. It's like those who are here with a vision, those who are here with a commitment to what we say we're about, and they see how their vision aligns with the company vision or the team vision, they want to contribute in a meaningful way. Uh -huh. They want to connect. 
And the way to connect is to be able to actually be able to make a significant contribution to what's what's going to make a difference. Uh-huh. And many leaders, including myself, I'm looking in the mirror right now. Yep. So many leaders think that it's their job to save their people from their challenges. Yes. Or from what's real for them right now. And yes. that's going to create disconnection. Right. It does. It's such a big point. As it happened on a call yesterday with a brand new client, what did she say? It was in one of her main commitments for the next six months of our work together, um, which was, she's, she's thinking about, I'll, I'll summarize it, but she's thinking about conflict and she wants to like empower people and make their lives easier or something like that. That wasn't exactly what she said, but that was the feel. And I, and we, we had talked and she had joked about how in my first conversation, I called her control freak. Um, for some reason, I've also made people think that's funny. Um, and, but the trying, thinking that she can save her people or she ought to, and then that she can save their people, save her people from the experience they create for themselves. Yeah. First off, not possible. Second off, not even helpful if it was possible. If the aim is to generate resiliency on your team, if the aim is to create codependency on your team, that's a great game to play. If the aim is to create resiliency, which means individuals owning it all, like I get that my experience is a generated experience. I'm responsible for my own experience. Any of my complaints are mine. They come out of how I'm oriented to myself and work and the world. And therefore, any problems I have are mine to take on because they all come out of individual perception. Um, but to think that my job is to help them not have the struggles they create for themselves, you set yourself up for a world of hurt and a lot of disappointment and a very codependent relationship. That will eat your lunch down the road. Yeah. Because if you set yourself up as the savior, which is what you're doing, then, <laughs> then you know, I'm here to help you make sure. It's so patronizing and yeah. it's... You know, this is why people pleasing is rarely about pleasing people. Yes. People pleasing is usually about pleasing myself and looking like I'm pleasing other people. Yes. But it doesn't build any, any of anything of the future that we want together because now we're codependent and now I'll complain about you coming to me every time, but I've actually set it up where you come to me immediately instead of try to solve the problem yourself or bring a problem to me as a leader with a set of potential solutions. So we generate an environment of, of of dependence or, or shows up like codependence mm-hmm. uh, instead of generating an environment of mutual ownership and responsibility. Yes. Right on. Well, something we're circumventing in this conversation is asking for what you want and need. Right. We're just, you know, all, each of these points, we get really close to it and then really far away again. And I think <laughs> that is such a foundational thing to take away from this conversation is what I wrote down as you were talking is just like it occurred to me is like bitterness is a result of unspoken result or unspoken requests. Yeah. At least a contributor to it. Right. right? I'm just thinking about the people that, so I've got this client, right? And um, one of his top performers on his team, she's been on his team for years and years, very, very loyal, very smart. And she's bitter as shit. Uh-huh. She's bitter about everything. She's bitter about, the the direction they're going she's bitter when they grow she's bitter you know she's bitter with the new uh 
the new people that come on because they're a generation, blah, 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 blah. And yep. um, what occurs for me is like, there's probably a number of requests from her that she's been unwilling to voice or ask for help in or be supported in or even just be known in. And so she just keeps that and the bitterness festers uh -huh. and there's, it must come out in some way. So I just think about, you know, I've, this is something I've pondered on a lot because I myself have seen myself go to bitterness. Uh-huh. Even recently, it's been one of my personal uh, challenges is I've yeah. gone to bitterness with the people that mean the most to me in, in moments. Uh -huh. And I could see how that could become a way of being all the time. Yep. And it's typically because I'm not willing to make a request. I'm not willing to like be in or, or let somebody into what it is that I'm experiencing. And when you say you experience bitterness, yeah, and it's, there's a lot of emotion there for you, which I appreciate. Like, what what is that? Can you like describe what that? Because I, I don't know if people use the word bitter. I don't think people do. Um, we do a lot because it, it's it's one of the two things that binds human beings. So we talk about it. Promise yeah. the promise and bitterness bind human beings. Yeah. So we talk about bitterness a lot, but just for people that are listening and want to know what you mean by bitterness, like what is that experience for you with the, the what does it, it sound like? It shows up for me as annoyance. Like I'm annoyed. Like uh -huh. I'm annoyed with how, like I'm annoyed that you're bothering me with this. I'm annoyed that you're, you know, being so stupid. Can't you uh -huh. just, you know, if you were smart like me, you just, and then that gives me, and then it's dismissive. I don't need yep. to pay attention to it. I don't need to whatever because I'm smarter yeah. than it. I'm, it's wasting my time. It's, you right. know, all of that sort of it's stuff. Tricky shit, yeah. Yeah, which is how when I talk about people that are bitter, um, that's how I experience them is just like that I'm, me or anything really doesn't seem to be worth their attention, time, focus, love, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it seems like, like bitterness is like relational doom. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's not like they're going to keep being because the future we always think about what's the future baked into the the experience and it seems like bitterness is i've been betrayed i've been let down that's what's coming next yes so if i'm bitter about it i'm sure about it which is my own way of of being right of course and but also like setting the stage but they don't mm. actually really have a shot yeah to do anything new yeah, you know, I see this on my kids. All I, I think about as you're saying that I'm thinking about bedtime for my kids. <laughs> you know, and you know they're being kids, and they you know they're landing the plane, and they've got lots of stuff they want to do all of a sudden. Um, or they're not landing the plane, or they're not landing the plane, and and particular circling, <laughs> and yeah, in particular, Charlie's got five more things she wants to do. Charlie's my like seven year old little girl, and for those listening. And uh, I'm done. I find myself in the conversation of done. Like, I'm just here to get this over with as quickly as possible. And anything they're doing that's not on the road to sleep is a problem. And I show up like a, like a dick. Yeah. You know? I, I, yep. try to, I try to see it coming and take a breath 
and not like give up my standards because we are going to bed and need to go to bed. And that thing, we can do that tomorrow. Wonderful concern. Let's talk about it in the morning, blah, 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 which she will never do. Because um, it's just a whatever. Yeah. Part of it's really a ploy. But I can show up like a bitter dude. And I'm disappointed in myself when I do that because I, yeah. I really live with the, the, you know, it seems like we have endless nights together to do this. Um, but we don't. No. We really don't. Yeah. So you talk about um, service service with a spine. Yeah. This is where I want to end. Um, I, lo- I love that saying so much comes up for me uh-huh. when I hear about service with a spine. Um, what do you think about when you're, when you're talking about service with a spine? How does that show up for you? If I'm serving someone, am I helping someone else? If I'm there for them as a way to, um, I don't want to say it. If I'm doing it as a way to get by, if I'm doing it as a way to shut them up, which happens a lot for me, like I'm just doing it to kind of get by and pay the toll, if you will. Um, and therefore I'm doing it for myself. Like it is a manipulation. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to manipulate the situation and just evacuate any of my wants and needs in order to kind of get it over with. Um, all types of terror and all types of broken uh, possibilities in the relationship um, are going to show up because I'm being really inauthentic. So service to the spine is my own kind of grounding. Um, where I'm thinking about making sure that I'm connected to my own wants and needs and I'm serving them from that spot. So I'm serving them with a full belief that I'm also worth it to be served. I'm also going to deliver on all my promises and so that my service to them is not me evacuating and abandoning myself. Um, That actually comes out of my own abundance or whatever you want to like it comes out of joy. It comes out of giving instead of um, this game I'm playing with other people. Um, because I don't like, I don't like what comes whenever I'm 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 serving to get by. And I do. I can so easily do that. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of evidence in my life where that's just the easier route. And so I keep <laughs> doing the short-term gain, long-term pain. And then I get to, you know, then I end up becoming somebody and I get reactive and da 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 because I set my world up to be that way. And then I really betray myself. I double down on that pair of twos. Like, it's like, this isn't working. And let me really blow it up now in a really reactive way because I haven't served myself, thrown my shoulders back, stood in my own truth, my own commitments, really what I want. Um, Because when I do it that way, I can be really generous and whatever they need and want's not a threat to me. But if I'm, if I'm like scraping the bottom of the barrel for resource and emotion and energy and love, that's really not there because I haven't replenished myself. Then they are using me, but I'm, I've used myself. Yeah. So that wasn't that helpful of an answer. Anyway, it's kind of a broad answer, but it's really what it means for me is like, giving out of my own abundance people would say i guess like yeah. giving out of what i've already 
like the whole self-help world can be so narcissistic and um, self-serving. Yeah. Um, but it's really helping myself so that, I mean, helping myself full stop. Because if I'm not generating an experience I have in life that I really want, whatever, I'm going to die sad. So do that fully because yep. that's worth it. And because as an individual, you're worth it. And then out of that, though, give to somebody else. And that also fills you back up. It's got this really great catalytic, you know, um, ROI. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I was listening to this incredible podcast this morning. I never heard of the guy. Uh, his name is Jim Deathmer. Yeah. Have you ever heard of him? Nope. Really brilliant coach. Uh, has coached some really successful, uh, some really successful people. And he talks about this idea of, well, he's talking about forgiveness and he says, you know, forgiveness is one of the most selfish things you can do. Uh -huh. They say, you know, because you're going to be served dividends over li over a lifetime of forgiveness, then you're going to get so much more out of it than the, those who are receiving it. Uh -huh. And I think this is this is a very similar thing where we can make up that like to ask for what we want is a selfish thing, but actually, uh -huh. like. It's sir, I don't know. I, I'm trying to draw the line, but it, it occurred for me of just like this is counterintuitive. Uh-huh. And my encouragement in this conversation is that you can create both, you can be in both in a meaningful way. You can both get what you need and you can provide for others what they need. Or at least I, I what I loved in what you said was. Um, not be threatened yeah. by others' needs, yeah, or others' requests, yeah. and in to be to be to serve with a spine to me is exactly that. Is like I can hear your requests. I can be confident and grounded enough to determine whether or not it's something that I can give or at least contribute to. Yep, and I can be confident in making my own requests. Okay. And for what it is that I need, and that becomes a real um, symbiotic relationship. That becomes a real um, opportunity to like be with what's actually there with you, rather than this pretend. Oh, I get what I want. You get what you want, or or you know whatever that that um, yeah, feeling like we've got to give up one or the other. Right on. Yeah, that that somebody's got to lose. That yeah. there's winners and losers, and somebody's got to lose. And if I lose on my own terms, that's me playing a martyr. If you lose, if, if, if for me to win, you have to lose. And then your reaction to that's going to be shitty. And then I'm going to judge you for that reaction. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig it. It, it is, it, will, it is interesting. Mr. Defmer, is that his name? Cause it's, it's, it's both. And I get, I get why he talks about it that way. Um, that it's good to own it. Like, because, you know, forgiveness isn't for the other person. Forgiveness is actually, initially, forgiveness is a, my own battle against my own bitterness. Yeah. And and if I don't do that, as Peterson always talks about, bitterness becomes malevolence. Uh -huh. And then we actually inherit a future we hate. Uh -huh. So if I don't battle my bitterness, like, head on, like, 
think about where am I bitter? Where am I harboring resentment? Where do I, where have I shut people out? Where have I kept a grudge? Where have I done all that? Which is the poison I'm drinking, hoping they're going to die. Right. And if I don't do that, I'm going to end up betraying everything that matters to me. And so it's this both ends. So if we do that, then we actually can be there to serve other people in an authentic way. Yeah. You know, it's so forgiveness isn't for the other, which I think is Defer's point. Uh, yeah. It actually starts with you. And that, I, I, that is self-mastery. It looks like selfishness, but it's, it is self-mastery. It's the starting spot is like, is my conscious clean? Yep. Or am I a conundrum even to myself and I'm so conflicted I don't know what to do next and I'm stuck. That's right. That's right. Oh, I didn't I didn't expect this one to be so emotional and such a confession for me, but here we are. <laughs> well, yeah, here we are. I mean, I think <laughs> I think I mean, for sure it is for me too, man. I It was interesting. I hadn't thought about how much this dynamic really is one of the bigger meta narratives, one of the bigger games um, challenges uh, that I do live in and take on on a not even just a daily basis like hour by hour yeah oh yeah really for me oh yeah um, and I think other people are are you know feel the strain of it but probably don't have enough language for it so I hope the listeners if you're still with us that you know I hope this gave you some language for how to navigate your own waters yeah um, so that you can serve really well and with um, you know Uh, what's the word integrity yep yep wonderful thanks man appreciate you good to be with you brother yep bye bye everybody see ya well my friends thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the naked leadership podcast as a heads up every friday we post a cliff notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, bye-bye everybody.